What's going on, everybody? Today's topic is something that is hot and heavy between me and my family and our friends, something that has taken the veteran world by storm, and that is veteran suicide. So I'm going to give you my inside story about veteran suicide. This is my personal story. Forewarning, there are some graphic things that I'm going to talk about in this story, things that have happened to me. So if you are under the age of 13, you probably shouldn't be listening to this one. But thank you guys for tuning in. Here we go. So I want to give you a little bit on my background. I spent five and a half years in the Marine Corps. I was an infantryman. Uh, part of that time was spent with uh, 3rd Battalion, 7th Marines. The other part was spent with 7th Marine Regiment. Uh, made a deployment to Iraq in 2004, and then uh, for approximately about two years after that, I spent tracking casualties with a family readiness office of uh, both 3-7 when they redeployed and 7th Marine Regiment. Uh, covering all uh, battalions at that point, which is 172737 and 34. I'm also prior law enforcement. I will never go back. That's not to say that I have any issues with uh, law enforcement out there. You know, any of my buddies that are still uh, police officers, uh, that was their call. That's their, their calling. That's what they want to do, and, and more power to them. I, I love them for it. It just wasn't for me. I burnt out extremely fast, and I think a lot of that probably has to do with the uh, the depression and anxiety that I deal with, you know, on a daily basis, having been a veteran uh, of the Marine Corps. Now, I'm not that guy that's going to, you know, sit here and tell you that I have flashbacks and and uh, I have PTSD that kicks in every time I spell, you know, uh, turkey being cooked on a spit. I, I, you know, I don't. It's not stuff that I experience. I do struggle with uh, depression. I'll tell you what what I've struggled with. Uh, the heaviest things that I've struggled with their depression anxiety uh and alcohol there's one more issue that i want to get to in just a second but i want to stop right here on alcohol okay i'm not an alcoholic i don't have a a craving or or a taste for alcohol i drink a couple of beers every now and then socially i don't do it to get drunk i don't do it to get stupid uh you know there was a point where i was doing it to forget doing it to to sleep uh, and then that started not working either. So I, I, I don't crave this stuff, you know. I like to have a good time just like anybody else, but I'm, I'm not an alcoholic. I just really felt the need to explain that one to you. But one thing that happened in my life where I knew that something, you know, that things were getting out of hand was I started cutting. Uh, and and this, this started, you know, it, it was a gradual thing. It wasn't, you know, anything uh, real real quick or anything that I was doing on a daily basis, but it, it became gradual. I'd, I'd make a mark here, there. Um, I'd make a mark here, uh, mark there. Usually it would uh, it'd be on the inside of my leg. Uh, a lot of scars. Uh, did quite a bit on my arm during this time period because it was it was winter time, fall, winter time, and it was, it was cold. It was long enough for me to wear a long sleeve shirt, so I could hide all that. Uh, and, and it took a while for my wife to figure out uh, what was going on because, um, you know, by the time I come to bed at night, most of the lights are off. All that's on is the TV. So, uh, you know, it's not something that you would see um, at night. You don't see it in the daytime. Like I said, I was pretty much covered up at that point. Slowly but surely, the cutting started getting out of hand. And my wife walked in uh, one time. I was in the bathroom and I was uh, I'd. I'd just made a small cut on my arm. Let me tell you something about uh, cutting. That that was the pivotal point. That's when I knew in my head that 
I, man, I'm trying so hard to hide this, and and why? Because I, I felt shame from it. It was it was not something that, uh, you know, people in a normal thought frame of mind uh, would do. Uh, and my, when my wife caught me, it was like it was immediately, you know, obvious to me that, holy crap, man, I've been hiding this for you know x amount of time. Now she's caught me. And and now I'm very self-aware of what's going on, you know. So then, it, you know, it, it came down to, you know, I was still cutting after that, but I I, I would be very uh, sneaky about it, you know. And it would be in places where people wouldn't see. And I, when it comes to the cutting, guys, I, I'll be honest with you, it was the first time that I felt pain and I don't know how long. I was so numb to everything that was going on around me. So this these incidents of, of, of cutting was just nothing more – you know, for me than to be able to feel pain again, just to be able to feel something. Um, uh, because I didn't, I didn't care about life. I was already, uh, at this point in my life where, uh, I just, I didn't care. Uh, you know, I had a good job, had a, a good family. Uh, you know, there's, there's just things going on in my life. I just, and, and I just didn't care. I had no feelings, uh, you know, good or bad. I was just there. I was just, you know, physically living, but not, you know, emotionally or psychologically living. Uh, so that this cutting took a big, big, uh, big place in my life. Now, on top of that, my alcohol consumption, you know, had gone through the roof. I mean, I would, I was drinking six, seven days a week and I wasn't drinking like a beer or two. Like I was drinking to get drunk, drinking to be able to come home and, and, and just pass out, go to sleep, wake up from work the next day. Um, you know, so these two things in my life were, were pretty serious, uh, to say the least. Um, my pivotal moment, this is where we get into a veteran suicide. This is where I really want to share my, my story about this. Uh, one of the things that people ask themselves after somebody has, has committed suicide is, is oh man, there, I should have seen something. Uh, you know, I should have caught that. Um, th there had to have been something that, uh, I could have done people. I, I can tell you there is nothing that my family could have done to prevent this. I knew the day that I was going to attempt suicide. Um, I knew it that morning. I knew that night what I was going to do. And I acted happy as could be all day long. We're at friend's house. I, I got just toasted drunk, uh, drank and drank and drank and drank. And I came home. Uh, my wife put my daughter to bed. Uh, she was still up. I went into the restroom and I closed the door to the restroom what she already didn't like because she had caught me cutting. Um, but I closed the door of the restroom. I locked it. Uh, I grabbed a razor. I sliced my wrist open and I sat down with my back up against the wall, uh, with the light off. Uh, I'm sorry. I sat down with my back against the door with the light off, hoping that, uh, uh, yeah, I would just bleed out fast enough that, uh, it, nobody would, would find me fast enough. Um, at the time, I was extremely drunk, but now the entire incident is very vivid. I remember, you know, 99% of, of the stuff that happened that night. And, and uh, my wife starts knocking on the door. And she's like, hey, are you all right? Hey, are you all right? And I'm not answering because uh, I'm slowly bleeding out on the floor. And I, I, I felt myself kind of starting to slowly fade. My uh, uh, my head was buzzing. My 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 body was kind of starting to shake and then I was, I was starting to get to that point where I was like, all right, here we go. This is, this isn't going to take very long. 
when my wife couldn't get my attention, she kicked the door down uh, with me standing behind it. I mean, she really kicked that sucker open. And the next thing I remember is this blood curdling scream saying, you know, you know, baby, no, baby, no. She's calling for my brother, you know, help, help, help. And, uh, at this point, my eyes were rolling around in my head. Uh, I'm having a hard time staying conscious. There were, I was actually going in and out of consciousness. They were trying to stop the bleeding of my arm. Uh, I knew there was a 911 call being made. Um, and as I'm laying there on the floor going in and out of consciousness, I, I, I hear some heavy footsteps coming up the, the stairs and uh the next thing i hear is a fireman saying he's still breathing let's work it so um they they pulled me out i was half, still halfway between the uh, bathroom and the hallway they pulled me completely out in the hallway and uh, uh wrapped my arm up to uh to stop the bleeding um and they carry me down the stairs and as i'm being carried down the stairs by these you know these two firemen I, my eyes are still rolling around i mean i'm I'm in and out in consciousness at this point, you know, and they, they finally get me outside, put me on the, uh, on the stretcher and into the ambulance. And about two minutes in the ambulance ride, I'd like, I, I was just bam, wide awake. And I start taking the seatbelts off and the, you know, the EMT in the back, poor guy probably hadn't been on the job more than a month. He was still pretty, pretty shy. He's like, Oh, sir, you gotta, you, you gotta keep those. Okay. You, you can take that off. And <laughs> I was like, I was like, dude, I've been here, done this. It's like, I've done your job. It's like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to jump out the back of this damn ambulance, all right? And uh, so they, they finally get me into the hospital, get me into the hospital. And, and the nurse, I remember the nurse just being a, like, a, a she was just mean. Like, she was already having a bad night, and now she's got to deal with this drunk guy, you know. And she just absolutely didn't want to be there, you know. So she was like, uh, I'm going to need your arm so I can uh, stitch that up. You know, since she, you know, you wanted to play God tonight. Or just some asinine comment that she made anyway. And I was like, what? I was like, you're not touching me. There were two Waco police officers in there at this point, and uh, one of them. And I don't want to get. I don't want to give their names out there. Uh, you know, I, I've seen both of them. I've run into both of them after this, and I've definitely thanked them, you know, for what they did. But uh, they're both veterans. One's a veteran. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, one's a veteran of the United States Navy, and the other one has a, a kid that's uh, a Marine. Uh, and I happen to be a Marine, so we. You know, we got along in that aspect. But I remember looking at this nurse, and she's like, we're going to uh, we're gonna hold you down and stitch your arm up. And I was like, hey, you better bring some more people because the fight's about to be on. And uh, about that time, you know, this is commander from Waco steps in. He goes, he goes, you're not going to fight anybody. You start fighting with these people, and you know dang well what I'm going to charge you with. And I'm like, all right, they can, they can, stretch, they can, uh, they can stitch me up, <laughs> you know type thing uh so he he already knew he, he he knew uh he knew the game i was playing and uh so finally after being a little rowdy because the security guards like standing in the room is big you know this this guy's pretty large and i don't mean large like he's he's uh, uh you know muscly large i mean he's just he's large and he's sitting there looking at me you know the, the way he's looking at me was just judgmental and i'm like i was like you, you got a problem and he just kept staring at me. I was like, I was like, you you can stand outside. Like, I, I don't need you in here. And, uh, you know, at some point he kind of started talking talking some mess back. And I started yelling at the guys. <laughs> Finally, one of the Waco officers come in. He's like, all right, dude, dude uh, go, go and step out, you know. So uh, the nurse comes in. She's she's uh, about to start stitching me up and whatnot. And I said, uh, I said I'm self-admitting. 
And uh, his commander's like, no, you're not. We're EDOing you. And I'm like, no, you're not. I'm self-admitting. I'm telling you right now, I will self-admit. He's like, I don't care what you're telling me. You're getting a detention order for your psychological, you know, welfare. And I was like, no, I'm self-admitting. So here's the way an EDO works. It's called an emergency detention order, right? This is something uh, kind of like a warrant. So a police officer files a, a piece of paper uh, showing probable cause it's, you know, uh, or, or an affidavit uh, saying that, you know, this, this, and this happens. It believes I, I'm a, a danger to myself uh, at this point, you know, which I was. Um, and, uh, you know, after arguing back and forth a couple of minutes, I was just kind of like, I am self-admitting you are not EDOing me. He goes, I'm EDOing you because I know you know what I know, and that's not going to happen. You're going to the hospital, you know, the the, the, the treatment center. Uh, and, and he was right. I did know what he knew. So the difference between the EDO and self-admitting is if I self-admit, I don't have to stay. I can leave any time that I want to, uh, that treatment facility. If I go EDO, uh, emergency t detention order, uh, they have to keep me for at least 72 hours to uh, examine uh, me, you know, uh, my uh, psychological warfare. And uh, so anyway, yeah, it was all said and done. You know, I, uh, I was on a uh, on the back of another uh, ambulance and they were taking me to a mental health facility, which, uh, you know, at this point, it pretty much felt like my life had completely uh, fallen apart. And uh, I, <laughs> the, the next 72 hours were definitely going to be, you know, as I said uh, previous, you know, it was, it was going to be pivotal in what the rest of my life was going to be like. So the first day I'm in this place and I was like, I'm not doing nothing. Well, they wouldn't let me stay in my room on my bed. They are like, you have to sit, you know, at least in the, the rec room because we have to lock all the doors to the bedrooms. You're not allowed in here. I'm like, cool, I'll sleep on the couch in there, which is what I tried to do. Uh, day two, you know, as I'm talking to one of the counselors and they're like, look, uh, you, you really need to participate. And I was like, I don't want to do any of this crap. I just want to go home. Uh, they're like, well, we think you want to go home because this is still on your mind. We think this is still something you want to do. And, uh, you, you, we want to protect you from that. We want to help you, you know, before you get to that point. And, uh, I was like, well, I, I don't really care. I'm, I'm not doing it. Uh, and, uh, this guy's like, look, if you don't participate in what we're doing here, the longer you don't participate, the longer we can keep you. <laughs> and I was like, no, 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 72 hours. He's like, no, no, no. You can file habeas corpus, as you've stated, because I would already said that. I was like, man, habeas corpus. Uh, he's like, you can do that, but our psychologists and our psychiatrists are still going to be able to articulate that you need to be here. You are a danger to yourself right now. You need to participate and what we're trying to do, we are trying to help you. And I was thinking, man, I, I'm not, I'm not getting stuck in here for you know three or four months. I, I can't do it. So I was like, I'll right, start participating. Believe it or not, as I'm participating in this, uh, in these activities, I'm actually uh, enjoying it. You know, I'm, I'm talking to people who are going through the same thing I am. They're not all veterans. Uh, at this point, it's a, a mix between some civilians. There's a couple of vets in there and, and things like that. I ended up making a you know a good friend uh, while I was in there. But we did this. Uh, th we did yoga uh, every morning, and this this wasn't like you know uh, do a scorpion you know bend your back at a 90 degree angle yoga. I'm talking about like this is more re relaxation techniques and and whatnot. And so basically, I just laid 
on the ground with my face, you know, on the ground and, and, uh, just sat there, you know, doing these breathing exercises and listening to this music. And oh, man, I could tell you, this was a 30 minute session and it felt like it was, you know, I, I had been there. I had been asleep for like two hours. It was the most restful thing I'd gone through in years. Uh, so that was really helpful, but 72 hours comes around and, uh, it is about time for me to, you know, start thinking about what I'm going to do when I get back home. So I go into my counseling appointment that day and, I'm like, oh, you know, how are you doing? How are you doing? And things like that. And I'm like, oh, you know, I'm doing better. Blah, blah, blah. I was like, I'm ready to go home. I was like, I want to leave tomorrow. And he's like, I don't think the psych, uh, the psychologist is going to, sorry, the psychiatrist is going to let you do that. I'm like, what do you mean? It's 72 hours. Yeah, but they can still articulate whether or not you need to be here. And I was like, cool, give me the writ of habeas corpus. Cause I'm going to go ahead and sign. I'm going to go ahead and fill that out now. So they, they, uh, they gave me, gave me the, uh, the writ and I filled it out and I turned it in. And the next morning I was like, Hey, uh, I ain't heard nothing. I'm supposed to get out now. So he's like, no, no, no. They have X amount of time to answer that. And I was like, no, they don't. I'm looking at law enforcement right now. I was like, look, y'all are jacking with me and it's really starting to tick me off. Let me out. Well, they kept me for another day, and it was needed. Uh, I really did. I, I fought this thing to a point, but, you know, at the end of the day, at the end of my time there, you know, when I finally got got out, it was – it made me realize that I, I wasn't ready to go. Like, I, I still had life to live. I have a – you know, at the time I had a four-year-old daughter, you know, she's seven now, uh, and my wife, and I started living for another reason – and I still deal with depression. I still deal with anxiety. I just lost my father uh, in June, uh, and he's my best best friend, uh, one of my very very best friends. I I love the guy to death. He he's lived with us for the past seven years, uh, not because he had to. You know, um, it it really it definitely did help us out as a family. Uh, my daughter's really close to him, so you know even now, I I live with depression. I live with anxiety, and you know there. I know my breaking points. I think that was the, the biggest thing to, to take out of this incident was I know my breaking points now. I know what I need to not get to. I know that if I'm in this situation, I need to pull myself out of it right here. I need to start talking to somebody right here. I need to start doing something right here. You know, I, I know those those points. I know, I know where it goes if I let it go past that, and I don't want to go past that anymore. I, I want my daughter... Uh, to have a father that she can be proud of. I want my wife to have a husband that she can brag on. She, you know, people look at us it's like, oh, hey, man, that's uh, that's that's a good family right there. They're they're tight knit. So that's what I work on. That's what keeps me uh, going. At the time, I was working in a job that was really good money. It was it was really good money, but it was killing me physically. I mean, it it, it just uh, it was stressful. My promotion opportunities were extremely limited. Um, so. It finally came down to I was like, you know what? I got to get out of this job. It's it's not helping me. I don't love it here. I hate what I'm doing. This is part of my issue. So I left my job, and I didn't have another job to go to at the time. So we went through some financial hardships there for uh, a little while, and uh, I I came to accept that what I thought I wanted to do in life really isn't what I want to do in life. And now I'm back in a, an entirely different field that I, I never thought I'd be in. But I love what I'm doing. You know, it's a team effort again. I'm, I'm leading a team of, of people that were, you know, uh, looking up to me. And I'm able to I'm, I'm able to to lead again. And that's 
that feels great to me, you know. And on top of that, I still go to counseling, uh, you know, which is the visit is it's a little bit different now that my dad passed away because that's one of the uh, the bigger issues uh, that I've dealt with. Um, there are some physical repercussions that I've dealt with. I, I've lost uh, some of the filling in my hand, the, the hand that I uh, had uh, cut my wrist on, uh, that I'll never get back. So it, that, that's a little bit weird. And every now and then my hand shakes, the nerves uh, kind of jump around in it. Uh, but my family and I are happy. And, and part of that is because I'm, I'm happy. And my wife sees that. And it, it, it comes down to what's going to keep you alive what are you going to do to stay alive um and so here goes my opinion so here's remy's opinion on this when you look at your life and you find all the things wrong with it add up all the good things that have happened in your life and compare it and i i can almost guarantee you that the good things are going to outweigh the bad things you just don't think about the good things and you should. My daughter, my wife, my family, sister, so, you know, sister's brother, uh, friends, all these people uh, who were hurt in the beginning because they, they didn't know that I was hurting as much as I was. Um, so it was just one of those, I don't ever want to see that disappointment in them again. I, I want to be that that family member that that they love that loves them you know some my opinion on veteran suicide is this reach out you gotta reach out if you don't reach out you're gonna fall down there is nothing out there to keep you up by yourself you got to reach out you got to talk to people you got to love on people you got to let people love you you got to let that heart of stone that you built up those walls that you built up around your your heart you, you got to let that thing fall. I mean, even if you got to kick it down from the inside, reach out. Reach out, love somebody, and be loved. That's all we got, guys.